Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. Hello, and welcome to tonight's edition of Toasted Tavern. And oh my goodness, are do I have goosebumps because John Hewlett just introduced me for my own show. This is pretty darn cool. Scott Tobin as well. Uh, he's down at the Bush, uh, down at Bush Stadium tonight. Uh, with the Cardinals hosting the Diamondbacks. We did get a chance to talk with him a little bit earlier tonight about a couple of the topics we're going to be going over, uh, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, we, we have to start off with what has to have been the absolute craziest day in soccer that I've seen in a very, very long time. I, I know you guys aren't huge soccer fans, but the Euros are going on, on over in Europe. It's basically the setup to the World Cup for European teams. You've got the big names, France, Germany, England, Spain, everybody going on right now. And two of those teams were involved in, in, like I said, some of the most epic games I think I have seen in a long, long time. You had Croatia and Spain today, as well as France and Switzerland. And like I said, it, it was just pure insanity at the Euros today. Celebrations, heartbreak, Last-second goals, a, a penalty shootout at the very end of one of these games. It's just an incredible, incredible display. And I'm going to bring in uh, my buddy Tom Franklin from Toasted STL because he is a soccer fan like myself. And, and I want to talk to you a little bit about both of these games because you had Croatia and Spain as the kickoff today. And after Croatia eliminates a two-goal deficit in the final seven minutes to send it to extra time, you're thinking, wow, epic game. Spain then comes out, scores two goals in, in about a three-minute span to take the lead, and then they end up winning that game. Just an intense game overall. And, and you're thinking, man, that's a hell of a game. And then all of a sudden, France and Switzerland come out and go, yeah, you know what? Hold my beer. For, first, I want to get your take on that Spain-Croatia game, and then we have to talk about France-Switzerland. Well, sure. And first things first, you know, it wouldn't be a St. Louis based sports podcast without us prioritizing soccer first. You know, this is this is total St. Louis right here. Uh, shout out to all the soccer moms that are watching and listening right now. Um, Euro 2020. So um, Spain came into the Euros with a big problem. They were fancy. They had all this talent. They could uh, make beautiful passes, and they can play some beautiful football. There was one problem they had, and it was rearing its head You know, in the opening uh, uh, divisions. They couldn't finish. No. They could not score a goal to save their lives. And today against Croatia, when they needed to, I guess they needed to get their backs against the corner, they put up five. On a, on a very game Croatia team, a, a Croatian team that has won some uh, hardware in, in, in recent years. So a uh, big comeback by, by Spain. And you're right. I kind of came into this expecting, okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, uh, Spain and Croatia. Then, oh, yeah, France and Switzerland later on. Uh, no big deal. Uh, by the way, uh, getting back to that Spain-Croatia game, this is how crazy it is. In case you haven't didn't watch today and a lot of you work, so you probably haven't had a chance to watch. If you're having it on your DVR, you might want to step away for, you know, a couple minutes here. Five, four, although we did spoil the, the final score. We both made <laughs> one. So forget it. You're spoiled already. Yeah, Spain had a 3-1 lead 
85th minute, uh, Mislav Orsic uh, scores to make it three to two Croatia. And you're thinking, OK, well, that's, a, you know, kind of a nice, uh, you know, self-esteem goal, I guess, if you will, you know, just to get on the board and, you know, show your uh, countrymen that you're your, your fight hanging in there. No, they tied up with an extra time, two minutes of extra time. Mario Pasalic, I'm going to go with that. I apologize to the Pasalic family if I just butchered your name. Ties it up at three. We're going to extras, and you're right. You're kind of thinking, hey, this might this might go to penalties. And the second game did today. Uh, first game, though, Alvaro Morata at, at minute 100 and Michael Olasabal at uh, 103 decide, you know what, we're not playing around anymore. Spain had the... Possession advantage at 68%. They had 10 shots on target compared to Croatia's 7, and they had 23 shots in total compared to Croatia's 12. So in that extra period, Spain felt like, okay, they needed to set the record straight. They're one of the best teams in world football, and uh, they set the record straight, I think, uh, with a 5-3 uh, win here. But you, you mentioned it, that France-Switzerland game. I did not expect Switzerland to put up any resistance. I mean, you know, we all know Switzerland isn't exactly a team that's known for putting up a resistance at wartime. So, you know, you know, in, in soccer, I mean, they're, they're a pretty decent team. I mean, I, I don't want to dog them too much, but this is France we are talking about here. France is one of the, the powers in, in, in football. They have so many stars on their roster. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul Pogba, Kylian Mbappe, who, uh, uh, because we'll, 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 we'll get to that one <laughs> go today. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one here. Um, this was a heck of a game in of itself. I mean, Switzerland, uh, comes up with a, uh, one nil lead early on, uh, Harris, Safrovic uh, uh, with the first goal. Kareem Benzema then gets two in a matter of three minutes, the 57th minute and 59th minute. And then Paul Pogba, as I mentioned, you know, one of the uh, world superstars, uh, 75th minute, three to one France. And you're thinking, you know, kind of like maybe uh, uh, we were just talking about a 3-1 lead. You know, maybe they're uh, maybe that's safe. Maybe that's going to be OK. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Uh, Switzerland comes back. Uh, Seferovic comes back with the, uh, his second goal of the game with the 81st minute. And then uh, Mario Gavin Rodovic uh, scores in the 90th minute. I am I'm you know, I really need to brush up on my European names. This is, you know, I'm, I'm a public address announcer who's supposed to know these names beforehand. I'm doing a lousy job. But, you know, great game tied three to three going into extra time. And unlike the Spain uh, Croatia game, this one's going to penalties and wags uh, killing Mbappe, one of the world's top, top superstars, probably the you know ronaldo messi level superstar of like the you know next generation after them uh gets a chance to uh, save his team in the penalties and the swiss goalkeeper says nope no and both teams had gone back and forth it was you know goal 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 no one really missed everybody took really really good penalty attempts in that it was 4-4 and you had uh asmer Mehmedi putting the pressure on Mbappe with the, the fifth goal and he steps up and, and as a star player, you want to be in that moment. You want to be the guy that puts your team on his back and continues to send him through. And he had a chance to do that today. And, you know, they were talking about it right before he took his shot. And he actually recently just missed another penalty kick with an opportunity to give his team a lead. And it was kind of the same exact 
incident here, except, you know, that goal was the, the, the shot was on target and just Jan Sommer made a great, great read and a great save. And, you know, you go back to the game itself and Swiss was up one, nothing at the half. You're like, okay, France, not really playing up to their potential right now. And just after the second half began, Swiss, the Swiss had an opportunity to go up two to nothing, a penalty in the box gave them a penalty kick. And Hugo Lloris came up with an absolute banger of a save. And that, in turn, as we say so many times, a great save on one end leads to some success on the other. That's when Kareem Benzema got the first of his two goals almost immediately after that. And that's saying something for a guy that hasn't been with the club for five and a half years. Okay, He hasn't been a part of France's team for a while. And yet he comes in and Benzema is able to knock in not just one, but two goals in, the, in about a two-minute span. And you think, here comes France. Here they come. They are back. They are ready to go. They are just going to roll. And then Pogba gets the goal in the 75th minute, and you're just like, there you go. France is back. They're going to win it. They're the defending champs. They're here. But then just the the sheer dedication of the Swiss. And you talk about them scoring in, in, in the 90th minute. They'd actually scored not even a minute before that, but it was ruled offside. So uh. if, you, if you saw, there's pictures out there of a, of a Swiss fan. And in in a minute span, he's got his shirt on. He's looking dejected after that offside. And then a minute later, his shirt's off, yelling, going absolutely crazy. <laughs> and if that doesn't tell you what European soccer is all about, and Tom, you said it earlier uh, in our group chat chat about you know the Euros, where where chubby, uh, hairy men can <laughs> can rip off their shirts and and be excited. Uh, that that's only in the Euros, and that's what we saw today. And, and I tell you what. You got to feel for Mbappe. It's a moment that he's going to have to live up to and live down for a long, long time. But it just goes to show you how just wide open the Euros are. My interest is tomorrow. It's the Germany and England game. I'm a big Germany fan, and I'm scared. I'll be perfectly honest. Germany is another one of those teams that's been up at the top for a very long time. They did not look good in the group stage, almost got knocked out by Hungary. And they're going up against an England team that's young and hungry. So that one could be a very, very intriguing game uh, in the 2 o'clock time frame. Well, here is something that might make you breathe a little bit easier. Well, actually, two things. Number one, England has a track record of choking you know when 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 the the moment gets tough i follow a couple of soccer youtubers from england and you 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 never hear the end of it whenever they get bounced from the either the world cup or the euros um it is not pretty but uh this will actually be the 13th meeting between england and germany at wembley stadium and you know you would think that you know wembley stadium england's got home field advantage it's in london you know the heartbeat of uh of england but funny thing here uh, England is actually winless in their last seven against the Germans in Wembley. They've drawn twice and lost five times. So they're, the, the track record isn't great um, in, the, in, in all major tournaments in the Euro and World Cup. This will actually be the seventh meeting uh, in major competition between England and Germany. And uh, both sides have won two games each with three draws though the Germans have progressed via a penalty shootout following two of those draws. So history is showing that this, this should be a fun, entertaining matchup. It'll be a very close matchup. And I will say this for, for, for England, you know, I'll, you know, again, a lot's been made about their past history in these tournaments. Um, they had a tough road to get to this point. They were in a, you know, pretty gnarly group, you know, in, in, in the opening round. And here they are. 
you know, here they are. And, um, you know, I, I feel that England's going to come into this one with something to prove, something to prove that this is not the last generation of choke artists and the generation before that that choked. This is a new England. And um, we'll see if they can get the job done against Germany, who, of course, as you know, Wags will always bring it. Oh, yeah. No question about it. And e even if they are struggling, they will find a way to at least put the pressure on you and, and fight to the bitter, bitter end. So that's a great game to watch out for in the two o'clock hour tomorrow. All right. Enough soccer. I know we bored you to death, probably. But I tell you what, they were intense games today and you should be watching these matchups. Uh, let's jump over to hockey real quick, because announced today was the Winter Classic for 2022. And yes, as you're seeing it on your screen, the Blues and Wild will be participating like they were supposed to last year, but because of COVID, screw COVID, uh, yeah, they did yeah. not get to play in that. Uh, so they will be playing uh, on January 1st, 2022, up in Minnesota. We're going to do our damnedest to get up there and cover that. I know Tom is going to very likely be up there, so make I sure. Know a guy who knows a guy who knows yeah. a guy. We're, we're kind of friends with a guy that would that would know some stuff uh, and being able to get us in there. So uh, make sure you keep an eye out for that. Get excited for that. I cannot wait for the jersey reveal for the Winter Classic for this upcoming year. Hopefully it's a good one. We'll see. I, I don't know. We have a lot of fans are kind of up in arms about what it's going to be. Uh, but we want to go ahead and talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup Finals because those are going on right now. And I was able to talk to Scott a little earlier today about his uh, picks for the Stanley Cup Finals with Montreal and Tampa Bay. So we're going to run that real quick, and then we'll come back with uh, Mason Blues Fan Reacts as well. We'll get their picks, and we'll kind of recap what's going on in that game right now. Let's jump over to the NHL real quick because the Stanley Cup Finals are tonight, game one between Montreal and Tampa Bay. And we put out there uh, last week after this, the finals were set as to, you know, who would you guys be rooting for in this Stanley Cup Final? Because you got some St. Louis connections on both sides. You got Jake Allen, Joel Edmondson on the Montreal side, and Mark Bergevin. He's the GM. And yes, he played for the Blues. And then on the, the flip side for Tampa, you've got. Uh, Pat Maroon going for his third straight Stanley Cup championship. And and as of this recording, uh, we've had some pretty uh, interesting votes. We have 20 votes in our poll, and it's, it's heavily favored towards Montreal. We had 14 of those 20 votes going for the Montreal Canadiens, six people voting for Tampa Bay. And it's more so a matter of, you know, is, are you rooting for Montreal because you want to see Tampa lose, or are you rooting for Montreal because you actually think they can win? That's the big question mark that, that you have in that because I think they do have a team that can beat Tampa. They are very reminiscent of the 2019 St. Louis Blues. That's how I've described them the last couple of weeks. I think they are built to beat a team like Tampa, and we've seen how the Blues have played the Lightning in the past, and that's kind of the reason why I went with Montreal was because I think they can really truly beat Tampa Bay. Uh, but, Scott, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this. You know, Who are you rooting for in this matchup, and do you think a team like Montreal can beat Tampa? I think it's going to be a really tough series. I think Montreal probably can beat Tampa. I'm pulling. I know this isn't the most popular opinion, but I'm still pulling for the St. Louis, and I'm going for. I'm going with the big ring in that third uh, championship in three years. Although, you know, much like you, I'm also a Jake Allen fan in Montreal, so that I wouldn't mind seeing him get that second cup either. But I think Tampa pulls this out. I think it's probably a seven game series. It is going to be very, very good. It, a seven game series is. 
definitely not out of the question. And, you know, not not just the St. Louis connections. I look at Montreal and I go, I'm, I've been a big fan of Carey Price since he's come into the league. He's been one of the best goaltenders in the league. And the fact that this is his first chance at a Stanley Cup, and it's a good chance at that. And then you look at Shea Weber, too, on the back end. Hated him when he was in Nashville. He was just the bane of our existence when, uh, when the Blues played the Predators. But once again, another guy that is getting a chance to win a Stanley Cup a good guy in that, and I'd love to see him have a chance at hoisting the cup. And, you know, Tampa won it last year. They kind of skirted the salary cap this year with the Nikita Kucherov. So there's you know, there's pieces of the Tampa Bay thing where you go, eh, maybe not. I'm like you, though. I do think if Pat Maroon wins that third cup, I would be ecstatic for him because in the free agency era, we just haven't seen that. You know, it was only the second time that we saw in the free agency era when he did it last year, he would be the first guy in this agency period to win three straight. It, it just, it doesn't happen. And to have him be the guy that does that would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. It's, it's just a cool story for a St. Louis kid to have that happen, you know, and everything Pat Maroon's been through in his career. So yeah, I hope that uh, I'm really hoping that happens for him. And speaking of Pat Maroon real quick, lots of people have said, Oh man, the Blues made a huge mistake in letting him go. I can't believe that they did that. He, you know, the Blues would be so much better with him here. I have an opinion on that. I kind of want to know what your thoughts are on if Pat Maroon would have actually stuck with the Blues. Would he have seen the same success? And would the Blues have seen the same success that Tampa has been seeing if he would have stayed here with the Blues? Would they have had the same success? I'm not 100% sure just because of the things that have gone on with this team injury-wise and stuff the last couple of years. They have definitely missed his net front presence, though, that big physical body right in front of the net. It's not afraid to get those dirty goals. I mean, they've definitely missed that since he's been gone, but I'm not sure that they would have that same success if he was here. And that was Scott and I talking earlier about his pick for the Stanley Cup Finals. He has the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning winning in uh, this series. And just once again, some of the connections from the Blues. You have Jake Allen and Joel Edmondson with GM Mark Bergevin. You've got Pat Maroon in Tampa Bay. Big story, Montreal coming back from 3-1 down to beat Toronto, then swept Winnipeg, and then beat Vegas in six games. Tampa... I would say it's a bit of an easier road there. I mean, they beat Florida in six. They beat Carolina in five. And the Islanders did take them to seven. But it almost felt like Tampa kind of had the easier route to the finals. Uh, but you got a lot of opportunities for some young kids, especially Cole Caulfield uh, getting his chance up in Montreal. You got the Nikita Kucherov thing, which, you know, and people are upset about that. But, you know, when when you got the opportunity and you're not – breaking any rules I mean, you, you do what you got to do so not my money <laughs> not my money. Uh, we're not rich no. enough for that we don't care. not at all not we at all so um I, I don't think we got your guys's picks last week uh on who you thought was going to win the series i know game one is going on right now but who do you guys tom and mason think is going to win this series who should win and who do you want to win three one tampa I think it is a 4-3 um, Montreal to win the series. By the way, Tampa just scored as we are recording Under here. Palat. Yeah, Palat banking the puck out of, out of midair, essentially. It took a, a bounce off. Impressive. It looks like a rot. And then uh, Palat knocks it by Carey Price. So uh, it's a game of bounces so far because Montreal uh, got their goal basically oh. by doing the Plinko thing. That was What's a hand pass on Sergachev that uh -oh. the refs didn't call. Uh -oh. <laughs> that was a Jake hand pass on Sergachev in the neutral zone. Oh, no. Oh, and, and the play goes on. 
hey, man. More, more, oh, shade, more shades of Montreal being the 2019 Blues. More shades of Montreal being the 2019 Blues. If they come back and, and Pucks they, I mean, it. well, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, the, the Blues, after oh. they had the hand pass against them in the Sharks, they buckled down and they went on their run. Yes, it's the finals. It's a different story. But if Montreal can do the same thing, this once I talk about this, I believe that this team, yes, there are two former Blues from that team on there. But Montreal reminds me so much of that 2019 team. Good goaltending, solid big defense that blocks shots and limits the shot attempts on goal and timely scoring. That's what Montreal's doing up until this point. So maybe it is something that, you know, a hand pass going against them. Maybe it, it sparks them and they go around. I don't know if they need much of a spark because they got a good team. Yeah. But I, I went with Montreal mm-hmm. as well. I know Tom went with Montreal. Uh, Mason, who are you going for again? <laughs> Oh, uh, what? Okay. There's the, you asked two separate questions. You said who's going to win and who I want to win. Okay. It's going to be right. lightning and four just out yeah. of the way. It's going to be lightning and four. Uh, I'm rooting for the Canadians. I want the Canadians to win more than anything because yes, while the salary cap whole nonsense with the, well, that's not, that's not, there's not a lot of integrity in that, but like they're not, no, they aren't doing anything illegal. You know, I I bet the league fixes it after this because it, it I I I was very strong spoken about saying it's cheating. I, I mean, it's it's bending the rules, but I don't think it's it's really cheating because they're taking advantage of something that any team in the league can take advantage of. You know, now that I've really thought about it, so I mean, I, I like I said, I want I want Montreal to win. It's going to be tampered for, no question about it. <laughs> but I, I I want Montreal to win, so I would love to see you know Eddie. And and Allen and Bergevin, you know, get a get a cup. So I mean, uh, but when it comes to I, the only thing, the reason why I'm not like super invested is I, as much as I want Tampa to lose, you know, that's actually where you know a lot of my rooting for Montreal is. I'm, I'm really rooting for Tampa to lose, um, but I, I I don't know. Just thinking about it, I I would like to I, if Pat Maroon does go do a three peat like. Good for him. Like that would give me a little bit of, you know, I guess inner solace about, you know, Tampa Bay going back to back. So I don't like teams going back to back. It's got to be a new guy every, every year. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm glad when Pittsburgh got there first, you know, when they got their second, I was like, oh, okay, okay. And I think it's, it's always going to be that way for me. You know, I don't like repeats unless it's the Blues. Blues can repeat, but nobody else can. Well, you but- talk about Tampa and four. You also mentioned before we went on air about how physical this game was. You know, oh, right yeah. now, right now, Tampa Bay 48 hits, Montreal 46 hits. <laughs> Is Montreal able to wear down Tampa Bay enough to make this series go longer and give them a better opportunity? Obviously, Tampa's leading this game in hits, but are they really built to be that physical of a team? Because Boston was a physical team when they played the Blues in 2019 as well, but the Blues eventually wore them down as well. Could you mm-hmm. see Montreal wearing Tampa Bay down and, and really forcing this to seven games and potentially giving Montreal that upper hand? Possibly, but not likely because after looking, I I don't remember the exact statistics on like the average weight and average height of each of the skaters. I'm pretty sure it was like a five pound difference when it was the blues and in Boston. Uh, In this series, I hear it's like 15 pounds kind of thing. I hear that, but that, you know, Tampa Bay is such a bigger as a significantly bigger team. I think the top guys on Montreal are the better hitters for sure. But all around, I think Tampa just kind of has that edge, you know, other than Gallagher and the occasional Armia and, you know, maybe, you know, the, the, 
Cole Caulfield, I guess. You know, there's there's little players like that can hit, but other than that, and and the Josh Andersons, I can't really think of any other players on Montreal who like. Well, there's consistently hit other than Shea Weber as well. I, I keep thinking well, of new ones. You but keep like, naming names all of a I sudden. Naming names, the whole team. But I mean, I, if you think I, I'm just I'm looking at both teams and I'm looking at how they perfected how they play. And I think Tampa just has that perfect mesh of physicality, speed, skill, and they can run you over. You know, I don't think it's yeah. something that Montreal has seen in these playoffs, and I don't think that it's something that they can really keep. Montreal's up with. not going to get pushed over, though. I mean, they still no. have, you, you mentioned you mentioned Anderson, Shea Weber, uh, Ben Sherratt's a big physical defender. Stall and we, Perry. I keep naming we, names. We, we all know we all know about Joel Edmondson, <laughs> you know, how big and physical he can be. And then you mentioned Corey Perry, who's having a career renaissance in oh, Montreal. Oh my goodness, good the for old, him. The old 36-year-old, uh, you know, old fogey who everyone thought that was uh, washed up in Dallas, uh, he's having himself a nice playoffs. Uh, three goals, six assists, and 17 games, but his contribution has been on the physical end. Um, you know, and it, th- this Montreal team's not going to get pushed over by Tampa. Um, I believe it, 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 I believe the two teams kind of, you know, they, they mix pretty well. You know, it could be, you know, Montreal also has a lot of skill. Tampa has a lot of skill. Um, you're looking at two pretty complete teams. Even the goaltenders, uh, Price and Vasilevsky, you cannot pick which one is better than the other, honestly. Um, you know, unless it's like really, I mean, the really close. Vasilevsky and Price have both been exceptional uh, for their teams this playoffs. Mm-hmm. They almost have identical stats going into this. Uh, Vasilevsky is obviously the Vesna candidate, but uh, Price is the $10.5 million man. He's the franchise in Montreal. Uh, by the way, Blues fan reacts, mom reacts. Uh, Robin is also going for the underdog. She <laughs> is uh, uh, rooting for uh, Montreal. Mom. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because you would have thought that going into this series, Blues fans would have wanted to see Pat Maroon get his third cup in a row, row, and they might have leaned Tampa just for that very reason because we all love Pat Maroon. You know, who doesn't love Pat Maroon? Um, But here's the thing about St. Louis, you know, especially hockey fans. They're not one to really hop aboard a front runner bandwagon. You know, this, you know, as blues fans, they are trained to be underdogs. I mean, this is just our nature. So it doesn't surprise me when we do that poll and 20, you know, people pick Montreal and six Tampa and the four of us are rooting for Montreal as well. Um, It's going to be I I don't think this is going to be the tampa thrashing that a lot of a lot a lot of fans think it will be i think this goes deep i think this goes seven games injected in my veins because this is there's going to be quality hockey i think every single game is is going to be a must watch mm-hmm. it certainly is it's going to be a hell of a series and we've seen it before even if tampa bay goes on to win this game by a, a significant margin we've seen series is where a team will do that and they don't win the series. I mean, look at Colorado Vegas. I mean, it's not one of those things where it's one game will define this entire series. Montreal has to find their game against Tampa. Tampa may have an uh, upper hand on Montreal off the bat because they do have a lot more talent, especially on the offensive side of things. I mean, when you got Kucherov and points and you've got uh, guys uh, like, you know, Yanni Gordon. Tonight, Eric Cernak got his first uh, playoff goal. Good for him. So Good for I mean, him. yeah, I mean, and those those are the type of players that are going to 
make this series. It's going to be the guys that yeah. are the underdogs. Ben Chirac got the, the Montreal goal tonight as well. So it's going to be the third. Oh, Tampa point. Bay got the Montreal well, goal tonight. The, the, the pinball. It was, an own, it was an own goal going back to our soccer talk. Another own goal today. There was one in the Spain oh, game. Oh, so. oh, man. That was funny. I saw I that mean, making the rounds. Brutal. I was like, oh, how do you manage? You're um, a professional. He gagged the ball up the field. You loudly <laughs> gagged the ball back to the goalie. You loudly gagged the ball, and it goes in your own net. What does that make Spain? Lollygagger. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, well, you know, when you're when you're that good, you kind of get a little lazy. I mean, the pain in Spain. <laughs> the pain in Spain. Oh goodness! Oh goodness! Oh, so the plane. So we got a couple Montreal picks. We've got a Tampa Bay pick. We're, we're pretty split on that. We do, I think, all believe it's going to be a good series, except Mason oh, yeah. thinks Tampa Bay is going to wipe the floor with well, them. Apparently, in four well, games. Well, here's what I'm thinking: when I look at outside picks of Montreal, like this game goes to seven. When I think of that, I'm thinking, okay, I think most people are coming to that conclusion just because of how wild all of Montreal series have been. You know, they took you know Toronto to seven. They took Vegas to seven. They just beat Vegas in seven games. I don't six. think people real six. six. Excuse me. Six. You know, exactly. They, they just took – they just beat – my point still stands there. That actually proves it more. It's that these last couple series have been just so wild for the Montreal Canadiens. So I think people are thinking, okay, logic goes out the window. I think Montreal takes this a lot farther than people think, and that's where the Montreal and six, Montreal and seven comes from. I look at both teams; I just can't see it. You know, Tampa Bay has steamrolled. You know, all three of their opponents, or two of their opponents. Other, I can't talk today. I, my my analysis is terrible today. No, but they took they took New York to seven, which they absolutely shouldn't have. Uh, but they they steamrolled through Carolina. They steamrolled through Florida. Both of them were having incredible seasons. You know, it's it. I, I, I can't see Montreal keeping up. I can't see it. But Montreal ended up playing a tougher road. I mean, they played yes. Vegas, one of the toughest teams out there. They, they, they played, I mean, they took out Toronto after being down three games to one. They swept Winnipeg, which is a team that was ahead of them in the standings and a better team this year. So, I mean, I, I almost feel like they're battle tested. They can adjust and, and fight and take this to the bitter end versus a team, like you said, in Tampa that steamrolled teams. I mean, we saw, we see how teams that steamroll people that they'll get a little bit full of themselves and, and then an underdog team comes and smacks him in the face, and all of a sudden you're in game seven and the opponent is up two goals to none, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Well, Tampa's also dealt with adversity this season as well. Let's not forget, they played in the Central Division, which was basically Fury Road, you know, for <laughs> Mad Max year. style hellscape it, was the it, Central Division. It, it really was, but which but which by the way, you know, for all of you blues fans that were wishing we would have stayed in the central, thank mm-hmm. God we weren't in the central because you had Dallas coming up the works with COVID, uh, and then you had just an absolute death trio at the top. Tampa was third. Yeah, the central going into this playoffs. Let's not forget that they were third. Uh, Carolina and Florida really showed up this year and Tampa as well. The Southeast took over hockey this year. That is how weird this year has been. Um, But yeah, Tampa's had a tough road as well. Um, You know, of course, let's not forget they didn't have Kucherov in the regular season, which we've lamented that fact, you know, already ad nauseum on this show. So we're not going to broach that. But, um, you know, it's it's funny how similar these two teams are you know, 
kind of you know came into the 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 finals here i mean they both had to face adversity at some point um you know montreal kind of has that underdog vibe i don't think it's an i don't think it's an apples to apples comparison with the st louis mm-hmm. boys there, there there's differences i mean bennington was never considered in carrie price's class of goaltending yeah or he you know hit the scene in 2020 so you know one small difference also i don't know if montreal has a layla anderson you know so that's no. That, that so, so, so there's another one as well. Um, or but, John Ham, or, or John Ham, <laughs> or or John or Charles Glenn. We can go on and or on. Charles Glenn. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, they, they, they just had they just, just had the, the mystique of Montreal and the French Canadian and the double languages and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we yeah, didn't have that too. So I mean, the uh, yeah, but circumstances that blues, there. God, yeah. that blue story. Like there, I wouldn't have had it any other way in oh, 2019. So it many really things. Is, it really is so a many things. How many pieces came together for the Blues to make that Stanley Cup run work? I mean, we even mentioned Laura Brannigan. We brought Laura Brannigan back from the dead, literally. You know, to pump some life into this team. That's how weird. You know, that All right, guys, Cup run is on your Stanley Cup final game one bingo bracket. How many P or bingo card? How many of you had Corey Perry makes an absolute fool out of David Savard and Mikhail Sergachev going around the net, dancing backwards and taking a shot on Vasilevsky that almost went top corner? What year is it? <laughs> um, I don't think it's on. I don't even think it was on anybody's bingo card when he first came into the league. <laughs> He's just like, oh. you made a fool out of him. That was so funny to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. Hockey doesn't exist. I'm convinced. Oh. Convinced of it. I don't go to nearly enough games to refute oh. that. I think that they're all staged just for me to go to. I think you guys are in on it. I you- think hockey doesn't exist. I think you guys pretend to go to games, but they're actually just very elaborate shows. And it's everything's all 3D, uh, hopes, like it's the all 3D landing. special effects. Uh, yeah, well, everything's scripted. Actually, actually hockey is, uh, is Dungeons and Dragons basically <laughs> you, have, you, you have some set rules but everything is made up on the fly and gary bettman is the dungeon master oh, oh gosh you know you know the nhl is actually underwritten by the wwe so everything's scripted and nothing's real is that is that fake news or is that who put out that memo no, fake. that's fake wow. news. <laughs> wow. put out that memo i was gonna say i was gonna say you know who, i mean who knew all along it was vince mcmahon you know what the nhl I mean, he tried to do the NHL on the football field, so it wouldn't be a, a shock if the if the WWE had a hand in the NHL at some point. So you, <laughs> turns, you never know. You turns never out know. Kucherov turns out Kucherov wasn't injured for the last two months of the regular season. <laughs> oh wait, well, not. Of course not. He was just having having a good time sitting, you know, in some resort in Russia, probably. Drinking vodka. In Russia? Drinking vodka and being massaged by yeah, Russian women. It was pretty nice. You know, that's why they had the Olympics there. Yeah. 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 yeah there was nothing wrong with the Sochi Olympics. Nothing. I wouldn't know. Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. It, it was 100% humanitarian. And it was, by, by the way, apparently, you know, a lot of the what they built up in Sochi for the Olympics kind of resembles like. Pripyat, you know, near Chernobyl, you know, it is, it, it's like it's like a ghost town. It's like, you know, you go there to like, you know, admire the ruins like you go through Detroit now. <laughs> that's that, 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 that's or what St. I Louis or St. Louis <laughs> parts of St. Louis. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Speaking of St. Louis, speaking huh? of the Olympics, we got to talk a little bit about Americans on the world stage, because right now 
surprisingly, Americans are doing well on the big stage. We'll talk about the Olympics in just a second. I want to touch on tennis because, once again, just like soccer, tennis is not something we talk a whole lot about. But Wimbledon's going on right now. Biggest showcase in tennis history, essentially. And and a couple of Americans making names for themselves. I mean, Sloan Stevens had a a, a great matchup today. She advanced along with Sophie Kennan, Daniel Daniel Collins, and Lauren Davis. Uh, Madison Keys also a straight set winner today over Katie Swan. So Americans are faring well on the women's side of the bracket. Serena Williams, Venus Williams kick off tomorrow. So you could see a bunch of American women advancing. Uh, Yeah, uh, 4-1 Tampa, number one. Number two, are the Williams sisters undead? Because, like, seriously, they, I mean, they're going to play until, like, they're 80, I, I, I think. They've been around forever. They've had an unusually long tennis career, both of them. I mean, you know, like, I remember, like, you know, watching tennis in the 90s, Martina Hingis, Anna Kornikova, here and gone. Yeah. You know, it felt like just in a couple of years. And then Serena and Venus started right along with them, and they're still playing tennis 20 years uh, later. It's about dedication to the sport. It's about training and all of that stuff. You know, you look at Anna Kornikova. Well, what was she more known for? I mean, she was a decent right. tennis player, but she was known for more for her looks. You know, yeah. you look at uh, just Maria Sharapova, same sort of thing. She was a decent tennis player. I think she rose up close to number one in no, the she world. She was number one for a while. She was actually a pretty good yeah. tennis player, but I but, think but I think injuries kind of cut yeah. her down over time. Oh, most definitely. Injuries and, and wanting to pursue other opportunities. You look at Venus and Serena Williams, and they both were dedicated to that sport. They they wanted to dominate. Their father pushed them, I think, maybe a little too much to that goal. But when they were winning, they're like, okay, we're going to do this. And then Serena has just become one of the best players in the world. And she did, you know, she just had a kid just recently and within the last year. And yet she's back to sheer domination on the court. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's about dedication more than anything else. And you can, you can last a long time. And you still look over at the men's side, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer. They're not as dominant as what they used to be, but they're still playing at an advanced age in tennis. So, you know, I think tennis is another one like golf where age is just kind of a number. It's more so about, you know, stamina and training and and the ability to go out to go all out in that instance. Uh, Speaking of uh, Americans now on on the men's side, uh, Dennis Kudla was a five set winner over Alejandro Fokina, the 30th ranked player in the world. And the big, big upset today, Francis Tiafo upset number four, Stefano Tsitsipas in straight sets never beaten an ATP top five player but TFO advances and uh this is a guy Sitsipas who actually just finished second to, to Djokovic in the last tournament so this is a guy that was playing very very well and TFO comes in and beats him in straight sets so that's, that's a pretty good feather in the cap for the American uh the last time a, a guy an American beat a, a top five player was uh Andy Roddick so I mean that, that shows you what American men's pass, tennis pass. is like yeah, yeah. so uh, it's going to be interesting to, for sure. I mean, I still think this is Djokovic's tournament to lose. He beat Jack Draper uh, in four sets today, dropped the first, but then rattled off three straight. So it's still probably going to be a, a Djokovic tournament winner. But the Americans could make a little bit of noise and maybe put tennis back on the map here in America. Yeah, ten- tennis is kind of due for another rebound. I mean, it, it, it's a sport that I, I feel like in just in my lifetime, it's kind of gone in cycles a little bit. I remember, you know, when Sampras and Agassi, you know, came up in the 90s. Uh, you know, those were like the first two marketable games and uh, names in a, quite a little while. So, uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a, a fun tournament for sure. And uh, um, 
And I just, 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 that's all I got to say about it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tennis. I mean, it's tennis. It's tennis. So we just got we, uh, kind of nice it's to see Americans. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those tournaments. It's like it's it's their Super Bowl, basically. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's something that you know I'll tune in just you know just because it's Wimbledon. You have to see the pop and circumstance. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Olympics because just this past weekend the gymnastics trials were here in St. Louis. And nearly 21,000 people were at the Dome Sunday to watch the, the, the women's team essentially compete to be announced an all-time U.S. Olympic trials record. Uh, Simone Biles, pound for pound, one of the best athletes today. She led the way, even if she had a bit of a slow start on Sunday. Uh, ben Fred of STL Today says, blame it on the Provel because she had emos taken to her on, uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and there's an image that went out of her. Maybe enjoying it. Not really sure. She didn't look like she ate it, but had a I, smile on her face. I don't know. What, what, what's your reaction to the the, the, the Biles emo uh, pizza controversy? There was definitely some pizza eaten. I just don't know if any of it was eaten by her. <laughs> you know, I, like like when I worked at Emos, you gotta stay fit, Tom. Well, well, well. Kind of trade secret. So when I worked at Emos, I don't know if they do this anymore, but um any pizza that like you know we would make and then the customer would refuse it or whatever we would leave it for us to kind of like you know like, like us workers to kind of you know notch off of as 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 the night goes on i wonder if that was one of those like customer reject pizzas you know that the employees were like you know already eating and there's like oh we need to pose for a photo you know simone biles is here you know so yeah i i don't i i would imagine that a world-class athlete like Simone Biles um, on the, you know, very weekend that she is training to make it to the U.S. You know, Olympic team. I doubt she is, you know, shoving emos in her face. I, I really, really doubt it. Also, a few people pointed out in that photo, where were the toasted raviolis? Hmm. Maybe she ate those before the photo. Maybe that's what she had. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Toasted wraps are, are, are the way to go. I mean, that's not right. like, it's not like it's part of our names or logo or anything. It's a small part. It's a yeah. small part. It's kind of <laughs> stupid. I've never had one. I'm like part of a sport. So that's literally. Our you got to get out of here. Never you got to get out of here. I know I have to. I know. I know. You have to. I'm sure there's a store. I mean, there's toast, okay. Off. I looked around and there is a toasted wraps place here in uh, here in Salt Lake. It's a St. Okay. Louis style place. I'm not going to it because I want my first toasted wraps in St. Louis. So the I'm, hill, I'm the hill would be a way to go. Yeah, I'm abstaining. So <laughs> yes, nothing wrong with that. I'm you're, making my middle Mason, school teachers proud. I'm abstaining. Mason is a hunger strike until he actually gets to St. Louis <laughs> and, and and actually has an authentic toasted wrap. Oh boy, yeah, you, oh, you, yeah. you got to get out here for that. Down on the hill, we'll oh, take yeah. you out. Uh, we, we brought up the the Olympics and the gymnastic trials because. It seems like St. Louis has become a, a real sports destination over the last couple of years. You know, you've got the, the the Olympic record trials record being set with fans in attendance. You had the PGA Championship back in 2018. You had the Stanley Cup run, All Star Game, everything around that Winter Classic with the Blues, and you've got so much when it comes to sports here in St. Louis. I mean, soccer's still big here. We talked about that earlier, and, and all the you know exhibition matches that come here as well get sold out. Is St. Louis a true sports destination in your guys' mind? Oh, yeah. Even when I was an outsider, when I was an, I've, I've never lived in St. I've only been to St. Louis one time. Even before I was into blues hockey, I knew that St. Louis was a sports town. When I thought of St. Louis, I always thought baseball. 
you know, I didn't, I didn't really think of the hockey, but I mean, you know, after going there, after being at ballpark village a couple times, after, you know, going to an actual blues game at then Scott trade center, of course it's a sports town. And we actually went to a Rams game too, while we were up there. You know, I know that's a sore spot, spot, but I mean, I did. And the fans loved it there. Albeit the, the, the crowd, it was like half capacity. Like not, there weren't very many people there, but I mean, it was the, the fans are proud of their team, you know. Well, there's 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 a lot of fun. They, I mean, how many cities truly have a sports bar half as cool as 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 Ballpark Village? I can't think of any. So yeah, not not many, not many. And, and with the Rams, by the way, don't use the Rams as a barometer for St. Louis <laughs> fandom because that team ran our spirit into the ground, you know, for mm. for, for so many years. It was just I had to. I, I was almost ashamed. To be a Rams well, fan. I mean, okay, so do the Blues. Let's be real. For there, 50 it, years. It's there. It for some reason it's, it's diff- a different kind of pain. It's, I get that. It's a different kind of pain. The Rams were deliberate. The blues were just the blues. You know, that was <laughs> you know, that's just that. I mean, that's just saying, you know, it, it was it was a team that just, you know, it it, it got into your blood, literally. Mm-hmm. You know, the blues did. The Rams never really did. And, and, and they're and, a transplant. And that's fair to say, but you know, don't use that as a barometer. Think back to we talked about Vince McMahon earlier and his XFL, the Battlehawks. Yeah, you know, they're probably the reason Dwayne the Rock Johnson swooped in and bought the rights to the XFL. You know, and in fact, I I know that he's you know he and his wife have actually featured you know like the Battlehawks crowd and like some of their graphics, you know, some of the limited stuff they put out. So I think the Battlehawks are coming back at some point. Um, so watch out for that. But That'd be nice. I was. I was I was I was a season ticket holder for the Battle Hawks. I was there for one the, the first game, the second game I couldn't make, but the first game it was it was so liberating actually having optimism for your football team again. Mm-hmm. It was so liberating. It was so different from the Rams. It, I I I can't ex- properly explain it. Um so we had that, you know, we had the big turnout for P, you know for the PGA Championship golf. We even had a tennis team, a professional tennis team called the St. Louis Aces for for many years from 96 until 2011. Uh they played out in Forest Park. They had we talked about Anna Kornikova. She played for the St. Louis Aces. Uh Lindsay Davenport, one of the top female players uh, in the US. She was a St. Louis Ace as well. And I remember those, they actually had decent turnout for those games. Um, you know, they lasted, you know, I think, you know, for the entirety of the, uh, uh, of the league that they were in. So, um, you know, we, we, and of course I don't have to talk about the Cardinals, you know, we, although except this season, which that's one thing St. Louis fans don't have a high tolerance for is losing and bad play. And um, even though you'd think we would, cause we're used to it, but like, <laughs> No, see, that's the thing, though. We're not used to bad play because our teams have always been relatively successful. It's been the heartbreaking ends that, that we're really uh, used yeah. to. It's, the teams are always there. I mean, the, the Blues went on a multi-year playoff run. The Cardinals, especially in the Tony La Russa era, were always at the top of the division, always making the playoffs. A lot mm-hmm. of times the bridesmaid, never the bride. You know, the Rams had a couple of years. So, I mean, if, if you're going to talk about getting used to losing, the Rams were – be a piece of that but you know even go back to indoor soccer this the, the ambush were a winning franchise for a very mm-hmm. long time Th- this city has a lot of winning in their blood it's more about those heartbreaking endings the the team's not you know finalizing the the, the years that they should have won but then you have the underdog stories where they're like wow totally unexpected 
love the championship. So it's more about the heartbreaking ends than it is more about the the losing side of things. We're not we're not the lovable losers that the Cubs fans were for a very long time. We're not that. It's more of oh, we're sure. the heart we're, we're the cardiac cards. We're the, the the heartbreak blues. That's kind of what St. Louis was used to for so long, and that's kind of what we're at. We're not used to this sustained losing that we're going through in a lot of these sports. That's true. Well, you guys aren't, but I was kind of speaking through my experience as well, forgetting that I don't root for, I only root for the Blues, a little bit of the cards. That's about it when it comes to St. Louis sports. I root for, I'm a Mariners fan. That's painful. That sucks. Suffering right there. Jeez. I was uh, was a Sonics fan when they were in Seattle. That sucks. So there's your, yeah. Uh, yeah, you weren't alive for the, you weren't really a big fan, part of the, the Gary Payton, Sean Kemp era. So nope, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Part of that. So yep. I was after that, I was right before they relocated about 10 years before they relocated. And like one year of Kevin Durant. Oh, that was about it. The one year of Kevin Durant. That's one year it. of Kevin Durant. You got to one year. Durant. The, I was a Seahawks fan until they won their Super Bowl, but that was a heartbreaking Super Bowl loss. That sucked. Also, Seahawks fans, I I feel that's a painful team to root for. Just in it in, is a painful team to root for. Awful Down there, Russell the Wilson trade rumors circling around now. It's like, come on, he's the yeah. best quarterback the franchise has ever had, and now you're 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 trading him because you can't find the right pieces. I don't think that's his fault. No, I don't, not, not his fault I, at all. I don't think they trade Russell Wilson. Otherwise, I think they will. I think I they will. I, I think I think he would have gone to Chicago before the draft if if they were mm-hmm. gonna if they're gonna trade Russell Wilson because apparently the Bears were ready to pay that price and mm-hmm. uh, Seattle said no. Well, you know a team that might pay the price and that might be a team that is getting ready to lose a quarterback, but they may not have the money to do that because there was a report of about Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Scott and I talked about that uh, earlier today as well. News and notes going on in the world of sports. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but uh, Scott brought up this very interesting nugget about uh, Aaron Rodgers and his contract with Green Bay and how he could almost, I guess, stick it to the Packers and uh, not have to pay anything back. Uh, What's going on with the the Rodgers-Packers situation? Well, you know, the league came up with an idea that because of COVID safety, players had the option, I think it's by July 2nd, they could opt out of the season. They wouldn't get their year of service time, but they could get their whole guaranteed paycheck and opt out for the season. So the big worry in Green Bay right now is, we all know the problems with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Aaron Rodgers could technically opt out of the season on July 2nd, get his $18 million signing bonus, and then at the end of the season retire, and he would not face the penalties or have to pay back any of that money to the Packers that he would have to do if he sat out the season. So, I mean, his career would be over. There would be no coming back next year or anything because the Packers would still have his rights for two more years. But he could take that $18 million, go sit home, and then say, I'm done. I'm going to do Jeopardy and not have to pay a penny of that money back. That's a pretty good nest egg right there. I mean, if especially if you're taking a risk and doing something like becoming the host of Jeopardy, or maybe you're going to go try and make it in Hollywood or have you. I mean, having $18 million to kind of fall back on guaranteed makes that decision a little bit easier. And the fact that now, you know, he's either married or getting married to a Hollywood actress, that that angle seems to be the direction he's kind of going right now. And now after seeing the videos of him with his, with his interesting haircut and all that kind of stuff, it really does make me think that the, the age of Aaron Rodgers is probably over in Green Bay, and you might be seeing the Jordan Love era begin very, very quickly. 
And like I said, it, it might have an option for a Russell Wilson going in there, but if they have to basically pay Aaron Rodgers $18 million, I don't see them being able to pull the trigger on a Russell Wilson type deal. So maybe not leaving Seattle, but you know, you never know. We'll see what happens uh, in, in that instance. Well, not only that, but it's, it, it's, you know, if you, you do have the contract. It's going to be a big issue with Rogers. Um, you also have Justin love who was, you know, your first, who was a first round pick. You invested a high, you know, a decently high pick, you know, for Justin love to be the quote unquote heir, which is, you know how Aaron Rodgers took over from Brett Favre. He was a first-round pick that you know sat for a couple of years behind Favre until Favre finally decided he's you know going to move on instead of retiring. Uh, we all know how that went. Um, but you know, with you know, and, and now it's like with Rodgers. You know, I feel Ro- this Rodgers drama kind of you know feels a little bit like the Brett Favre drama, you know, toward his end uh, time with the Packers where, you know, Favre was wore out. He wanted out. He wanted to keep playing. The Packers wanted to give the new guy a shot, which I don't get the impression exactly get that impression with love, but I feel the Packers should give Justin love at least a year. You spent mm-hmm. all this time and, and, and the high pick on him. See what you got. Maybe you've got a revelation here in him. I, I, I don't know what the, uh, his rep is, you know, from practice, but, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a tough situation. Rogers has the Packers in right now because they, they're really hamstrung. They, they basically have, you know, they, they've set up their franchise really to revolve around Aaron Rodgers. And he, and he is still the for for most of his career. Well, I mean, he is basically without Aaron Rodgers. Are the Packers nearly as good as they are? You know, did they? You know, over the past you know decade, I no, don't think they're not. They're not, but they haven't also haven't built around him either. He's had to he's had to That's elevate true. players around him. You know, they don't mm-hmm. go out and get the star players or draft a, a wide receiver. They draft a quarterback in the first round and Jordan Love six. Six one five oh one. Hey, like I said, just because Tampa's gonna win big doesn't 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 necessarily mean the series is over. But that's the thing with with Aaron Rodgers. Montreal's worn out. (laughs) I'm sorry for interrupting. Montreal is just dead right now. It's possible that they they wear themselves out. I don't know. It's gonna like I said, it's gonna be an interesting series for sure. Still a long haul. Still, it's game one. It's game yeah, one. it's game one. But so still, we'll, we'll see how it plays just... out. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to play again at all. Uh, but they, they also, I mean, he hasn't been given a whole lot. And you say it's the same as the Brett Favre situation. The Brett Favre situation, you know, at at different points during his career, he had talent around him. But as it got later on in his career, they they started to be penny pinchers. They started to kind of cut down on what they had around him to kind of essentially usher him out the door. That's the same thing they're kind of doing with Aaron Rodgers. They're kind of cutting down his talent around him and ushering him out the door. Maybe Jordan Love is the the guy that they want. I mean, it has to be because they spent a first-round pick on him, like you said. So this might be the same situation. Now, Brett Favre kind of forced his way out and forced a trade out of Green Bay, and there was a lot of bad blood there. There's a lot of bad bad blood here as well. But, But Aaron Rodgers isn't necessarily pushing his way out of Green Bay. I think it's more a matter of he just wants more things around him, more control of, of the franchise in a sense. And that, that's where it differs slightly. But, you know, if, if the, the protocols that are in place right now give you the ability to say, hey, I'm opting out of the season, I'm going to collect my money, uh, and then I'm going to just end my career, oh, well, I don't have to pay it back. Works for me. So this yeah. might have been the perfect storm for Aaron Rodgers for sure. 
Yeah, he doesn't need to play another down no. in the NFL. He is made for the rest of his life and for future generations. He can do all the State Farm commercials. You know, he won't have that. <laughs> That'll he keep him going. He won't have that pesky football to get in the way. Just of that. double check. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. Oh goodness. All right. And, let's. And, and by double check, we mean the checks that he gets from State Farm. You know. Yes. Yes. Everyone. And the NFL. The, the you know the double checks. Double, I do want to say one thing checks. about hockey before we continue. I'm predicting because at the end, I don't know. I don't. I, Tom, you have the you have the game on. Yeah, I'm right watching now. You're watching. A lot of those hits in the last ten minutes were very questionable hits. Very Ooh. questionable. There yeah, they, were a lot of very i i'm predicting this is bold somebody's gonna have a career-ending injury in this in the series i guarantee I it i don't know about a career-ender but we could see another rate like another, like, uh, Kadri situation woof. where he maims someone and we, you know we he misses time look yet. at this crap there's yeah. just dirty crap going on hey. all over this I, this is like refs do not refs did not have control of that game in the last 10 minutes that was brutal yeah i just saw kucherov get chopped down you know like like he was a tree yeah so there was a lot. There's a lot of questionable crap that's going on in that game. That's, that's uh, too bad. You've seen you've seen the meme, right? Of of the of the rules by the NHL. Like for regular season, it's a huge book about this Playoff. big playoffs. It goes down to here. Yeah. Finals, it's like a single piece of paper. So yeah, it, it makes 100 total sense. <laughs> it's that one piece case. of paper in bold lettering. Murder is legal. And that's <laughs> it. <laughs> it's oh man, shell the purge. Sheesh. Oh gosh. That was, this is gonna be this is either gonna be a really entertaining series or a really hard one to watch if that's what people are gonna do. Because Montreal got pissed after that fifth goal. They were pissed, and rightfully so, you know, but yeah, it's but just they like be pissed at themselves for not allowing for allowing five goals in game one. So, well, that I mean, wasn't their fault. The Tampa Bay was just running all over them. They were skating circles around them, especially in that third period. So how, you know? Wait, but if, if Tampa Bay skating circles around them, how is it not Montreal's fault for not being able to stop them? Like it's not it's not like Tampa Bay. Montreal like, can play as ah. good as they want. Nobody's beating Tampa. I don't think an Olympic team could keep up with Tampa Bay right now. They look freaking unbelievably then, 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 good then why then why is montreal getting pissed at at, at tampa because tampa's because better than they're them. trying they're their best and they're losing you know that feeling they're I know that feeling they're in where you're playing as good as you can you're having the best game you've ever had and you're still losing that is a shitty feeling yeah. oh, okay no but here's the thing though you're playing the best game you are, you can play and you're still losing you have to give respect and props to the team that's beating you if you're playing a shitty I'm game I mean, I would be upset, yes, but I could also sit there and say, look, this team is obviously superior than us. See, yes, and Tampa's been doing dirty shit on the ice, too. Well, Tampa's I mean, been doing dirty shit, so Montreal's like, okay, screw you. Refs aren't calling. Re- they go yeah. to the refs like, you're not calling anything, right? They're like, nope. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, if, if Tampa Bay's going out there and playing dirty and skating circles around them, at least, yeah, Montreal has the, yeah. the, the thought process of, okay, if you're going to do it, then then we can too. Maybe we take mm-hmm. one of you down. Maybe we get back in the series. I get that. But if it's literally just you're having the best game oh, that you've ever played that. and they're that. beating you, you, you can't really get pissed about that. Well, and now you've got Montreal, you know, playing out of their minds right now and not in a good <laughs> way. You know, they got them angry and you just, you know, karate chopped them in the throat, you know, five to one in game one. So, uh, yeah, Montreal is obviously, you know, when when you're trailing like that, it's game one of the Stanley Cup final. Um, you got to show that you're not going to lay down. 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think, and I think that's, you know, that's a little bit of what we saw tonight and just general frustration. I mean, you know, you've, you've worked this hard to get to this point here and, you know, you're trailing and it just seems like nothing's going your way. Yeah. You're, you're going to get a little chippy. So gotta, you gotta be smart though. Don't, don't take yeah. yourself out of the series. Right, in game exactly. one. That, that's the yeah, whole don't, piece. Don't cadre yourself. No, do not. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the Cardinals because that's somehow have not even gotten to that yet. Uh, <laughs> I am not even. Far. I don't even follow Cardinals baseball, and I know just how absolutely depressed everyone is right now. They they lost uh, five of six to the Pirates and the Tigers last week. Uh, they fall four games under five hundred. They're hosting the Diamondbacks, the only team in baseball that's absolutely worse than they are right now. They had a and, seventeen game losing streak at one point. Seventeen. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't even know what to say about that, but you can tell that right now the Cardinals are still kind of at the same level as the D-backs right now because it's the bottom of the seventh. It's a 1-1 game. Uh, Dylan Carlson, an RBI triple in the third. Rojas hit a solo homer in the fifth. Uh, Wade LeBlanc went four in the third, gave up four hits, earned run, walked one, struck out two, 71 pitches. So decent showing from the bullpen guy in Wade LeBlanc and, and right now Edmundo Sosa just doubled the lead off the bottom of the seventh and this is the thing about this game and this is where the frustrations with the Cardinals are at right now throughout this game they have had runners in scoring position lead off doubles first and second no outs and they cannot drive anybody home and that I think has been the bane of this team's existence right now and and we're going to talk tomorrow about the the guys or the potential reinforcements that are coming up for the Cardinals and and maybe some trades that are going down but when it really comes down to it you have to look at is this pitching hitting or both and if it's one of the two what do you do to rectify that situation it's all of the above it is all of the above. I mean, look, the, right now, as we are recording this, it is one-to-one. And they are taking on a starting pitcher. Well, at least they did. He lasted four innings. Jake Faria, who is starting in his first major league game since 2018. He's mainly a reliever. This guy is pretty much Jake from State Farm. And they've only got one run against Jake from State Farm, essentially. This is this is kind of sad. Still, uh, one, still one more run that they got against the guy making his major league debut last night. I well, you know, I baby steps, okay, <laughs> you know, baby steps, okay. Which which you shouldn't say that when your hitting coach is the famed Jeff Albert. It's not working. It's not working, bro. I mean, I I think before they make a trade, which one trade's not going to fix this ship. You know, this this ship's going down this year, I think. I, I, I think the Cardinals are pretty much at a point of almost no return here. Um, but, you know, if there's a change that they need to make, first and foremost, Jeff Albert, take a hike. Because it ain't working. You have Paul Goldschmidt. You have Nolan Arenado. You have a, you know, even when you look at the starting lineup for tonight's game, for instance, there's not like a guy you look at and say, well, that's a bad hitter. You know, not not really. Um, you have you have you have some talent that sticks there, and you're not making the use out of them at all. That is, I and whenever you have Tommy Edmond the other night coming out and saying that we are not prepared, that is on the hitting coach. Not necessarily though, because if you listen today, Mark Reynolds came out on ESPN 101 ESPN. He was interviewed today, and and Matt Holiday has also come out and talked about this. That the team has all of the things that you could ever want when it comes to video preparation or any of that. It is on the player to be ready to go for whatever matchup that you're going to have. 
yes, it would be better if the team as a whole was able to prepare and kind of make plans. But if you're going to blame preparedness as the reason why you're not hitting, that's a baseless, baseless accusation against the team because you have it in your hands to get the video, to do whatever you want as far as repetition and practice, to get yourself prepared to go up against somebody. Okay, That is in the player's hands. And I have no love for Jeff Albert. I think what he's done with the Cardinals and the philosophy is not there because if you look at it top to bottom, from the majors all the way down to the minors, the hitting system is not right. Every team in the Cardinals organization is under 500, okay, from the top to the bottom. So there's something fundamentally wrong there. But if a player has within his grasp the ability to do the prepare the preparation on his own and doesn't do that and says, oh, well, we're not prepared – that is basically saying that the, the, the hitting coach isn't doing anything about it, but the player is also saying, screw it, as the Cardinals do take a 2-1 lead on a Dylan Carlson single into center field. So 2-1 Cardinals in the bottom of the seventh. What are you about? Everything's fine. Yeah, okay, they're winning the game. But I, I do think, <laughs> I, mean, I, think you're, I think you're right. I mean, Jeff Albert does have to go. He, he came from Houston. He was kind of a no-name guy, and he built his reputation on the Houston hitting. Well, what did we find out a couple years ago about the Houston hitting? It wasn't necessarily all about the preparedness. Where's my, where's my plastic trash can? Exactly. So now you look at it and you go, well, really, why was Jeff Albert successful? Who knows? We're not seeing the same sort of success here because they got rid of all the trash cans in the dugout. But <laughs> at, at this point, at this point, is Mosaic just basically hanging on to him because he doesn't want to admit the mistake? And that's the thing that that we talked a little bit about with Scott earlier today. You'll hear that tomorrow. Uh, but Mosaic does not like to admit his mistakes. No. And this is another one of those mistakes that he's not going to admit until it's probably too late. And he's not going to get fired, and the Cardinals are going to go on a run. And you know, there was an article today uh, about the 1978 Cardinals. Is this team – a mirror image of that where they are just going to be terrible or do we feel like this team can't actually pull out they are a second half team scott's mentioned it in the past this is a second half team the last couple of years they put things together can they make a run in a very winnable division even though they are eight games out well one of the things that we did at kmox right when the pandemic started was we replayed a bunch of games from the 2011 run you know, when the Cardinals, it looked like they were in the depths of despair, you know, for much of the season. And then they rebound in the second half of the season. And hey, they win a World Series. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's it. You're right. They are historically have been a, a second half team. But I, I feel that the situation with Jeff Albert kind of, you know, is just another example of why there's one word that you can describe this uh, Cardinals front office from the owner, you know, down to John Mosaic and, and then even down to the manager's you know, office. And that is stubborn. This team is stubborn. They don't like change. Um, they don't. And, and if, if you are like, if you have to be like when, when, when Mike Matheny was let go, he had a prolonged, uh, you know, time in St. Louis where everyone wanted his head. They stepped, they stuck with him, stuck with him, stuck with him. He was the heir apparent to Tony La Russa. They stuck with him. Finally, they let him go, you know, late in the season. In fact, I think I was there for his last game. And I think, you know, I, it was, I don't think anyone in the stadium still believed that he was going to be let go before the end of the season. And then as we're going to our cars, we got the announcement that he was let go. Um, this team, this this organization needs to be more proactive because the number one indicator that you're struggling as a franchise is take a look at 
the crowd. And look at all the red seats that are around Bush Stadium. We are coming off a pandemic here. We are coming off a year where fans could not go to the ballpark at all. The smell of the hot dogs, the beer vendors, all of the the smells and the sceneries and the sounds of Bush Stadium. We were deprived of that for a year. We can go back now. Full crowd, 100% capacity. We're not there. And it's not because we're afraid of COVID. It's not because, uh, you know, of, you know, ticket prices, although ticket prices are a pretty penny, um, you know, but I think I, I think it's just simply because they're not going to pay that pretty penny to go watch the product that we have been getting for the last month. Changes have to be made. Whether it's whether it's Jeff Alberts, I don't think Mike Schilt. I don't think it's time for him yet. You know, I, I think I think he deserves at least the rest of the season. You know, to sit to to, to, try, to to try to write this ship. And you know, to be fair, I don't think anyone anticipated the Cardinals' starting rotation being this bad. I think we thought that you know Carlos Martinez would be. Oh, I don't know, a sub six ERA pitcher. <laughs> you know, it, it that too much to ask out of tsunami now, apparently. Which, by the way, I, I was actually talking about this with Tom Ackerman Wags. Can you remember in recent memory a bigger Cardinals waste of talent than Carlos Martinez? Oh my god, like a homegrown talent? Like, yeah, like a, a homegrown talent, uh, a, a guy that, uh, you know, uh, was a member of the Cardinals that, you know, was going to be a, a, a franchise guy. And he just completely pissed it away. I mean, I, I don't think you can really say anything along those lines. I mean, I think you look at a guy like an Alan Craig, a guy that kind of burst onto the scene that maybe not necessarily superstar level, but did have a potential to be a, a secondary piece to an Albert Pujols. You could say maybe, but I don't think it's as I think big. Over, I think Craig was an overachiever. He probably was. So, I, I mean, you look at that. I mean, there's a couple of guys that were overachievers. Hector Luna was another guy that was sure. uh, a rule five guy that maybe had a chance, but nothing to the extent of the, I guess, talent level expectations and projections. You know, Carlos has been a guy that's been, it was, it was an, a baby Pedro in a sense. People thought yeah. Pedro Martinez esque type of player. And we're seeing the same thing with, uh, with Alex Reyes as well. Another guy that could be a, a Pedro Martinez type of pitcher. And he's just basically pissed it away. And he's, he's had moments and he's had a lot of missteps. And, you know, you look at it and you look at the Oscar Tavares death. And I'm not just not to sit there and say that that was the moment that everything turned poorly for Carlos because there were moments before that. But having someone that maybe you were mentoring and bringing alongside and saying, hey, I got you under my wing, having somebody that loses their life that early in, in a tragic accident like that maybe changes somebody and, and maybe makes him go into maybe a bit of a depression or, or something of that nature. And then you have a manager like Mike Matheny who's here that maybe just doesn't understand the, the culture and, and things around that. And all of that kind of was a perfect storm in Tsunami's case in a, in a sense. And it That's just fun. is kind of spiraled downhill and maybe a, a change of scenery is what Carlos needs. And I, I do wish him nothing but success if he goes somewhere, but I don't know if that's even going to be the case. And it kind of takes me back to the, the question I was going to ask you a little earlier when we were talking about managers. Do you think the Cardinals made a mistake in passing on Jose Okendo for Mike Matheny? <sighs> yeah. 
I I I think I think at the time it was the right move going with Matheny. I mean, Matheny had a reputation for being a very smart guy and you know he was one of the most respected catchers around the league i mean he wasn't he was a a supreme defensive catcher you know in his time um but i i think i I think at the time matheny was groomed to be the heir apparent as i as i mentioned it seemed like that was the path that they were always going to go i can understand if you're jose okendo being miffed by that because you know i remember during that time period a lot was coming out about how instrumental Kendo was, you know, for the team, you know, whether he was a base coach or a bench coach, uh, he had a lot of influence on guys like Yachty and, and, and Albert Pujols back then. And, you know, who knows if they did go with Okendo, maybe Okendo's still managing the Cardinals today. You know, that, 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 that is a kind of, that is an interesting, interesting question, but again, that's with hindsight, you know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I think, but at the time, if you were to tell me should they go with Matheny or Okendo, I would have said Matheny. See, I, I was Matheny, and I would have ate and, and I would have ate my words later. Completely opposite for me because Matheny zero managerial experience, zero. And yes, at the time the rage was all about getting former catchers or former players with zero managerial experience into the into the leadership role. Jose Okendo was the manager of Puerto Rico for multiple instances. He had managerial experience. He had experienced the likes of Molina and Pujols and guys like Ortiz. I mean, just a bunch of star players. And then you look at the makeup of that clubhouse. I mean, there there was definitely a Latin feel to that clubhouse. So instead of having somebody that could really relate and, and kind of shape and mold, especially some of the younger players like a Carlos, like an Oscar Tavares, and then, and you're throwing a guy that's essentially Tony La Russa light and even at the end of LaRusa's time here, you could still feel a little bit of tension in the clubhouse with LaRusa. Well, you continue to have that with Mike Matheny. You saw why Jason Hayward left. You saw the issues that Dexter Fowler here and had in St. Louis with Mike Matheny. I'm not saying that racism or anything was involved in it, but there was just a different culture that Matheny kind of continued with LaRusa. And I think if you would have kept had Okendo here with the relationships that he had, and Matheny's relationship with Molina is great. Don't get me wrong; they, he mentored Molina. They were good people on the on the diamond. They great teammates and all of that. But having a guy like Okendo be the manager probably was the absolute right call in that situation. And I, I just think the Cardinals didn't want to take that leap. And you can see now that Okendo is now not really a part of the organization. He's a roving instructor down in Florida, essentially. And now he has nothing to do with the major league team. And that's a bit of a bit of a disappointment. Why do you think it is that Okendo hasn't latched on somewhere else? Because I think the Cardinals still somehow have this hold on him to where they're not going to release him to interview for jobs. I also think that after he didn't get the Cardinals job, I, I think, being a manager has kind of become secondary to him. He, he probably wanted, I think he wanted to be the Cardinals manager and that's all. And if he didn't get it, then he was going to move on with his career in a sense. And yeah, he did have knee surgery uh, a couple of years ago and, and definitely took a step back. But I think in my mind, Okendo thought it was going to be the Cardinals or it's going to be nobody because it's where I've been. It's what I know. And if I don't get an opportunity with the team that I've been with for so long, I don't know if I want to spend more time pursuing it with another team. Now, I once again could be totally off base on that, but I, I just think he's at a point where he, he's where he likes to be, and he does not want to go any further. 
and he's probably being taken care of by the team. You know, oh, I mean, most you, definitely, you, yeah. You, you know, he is. I mean, he's been. You know, he's kind of almost. He's almost kind of hit the red shandiest, you know, you know, status in terms of just duration with the team. I mean, so you might be onto something with that fact. He just simply didn't want to manage anyone else, you know, and, you know, and then you have sports talk shows like ours wondering what could have been <laughs> that you certainly do. All right, we're going to get one quick update on the uh, NBA game five between the Suns and Clippers going on right now. The Suns are looking to end that series. They're up three games to one right now. A 98-94 Clippers lead with just under seven to go in the fourth quarter. So this game got really tight. Clips jump out to a big first quarter lead. Suns fought back in the second. Clippers extended the lead in the third, but the Suns once again have fought all the way back to make it a four-point game in the fourth quarter. Uh, looking to punch their ticket to the NBA Finals, so we'll have an update for that a little bit later on once that game goes final. Uh, Kawhi Leonard still out back in L.A. rehabbing, so, I mean, eh, not really sure how that uh, – yeah, I mean, how, how committed is uh, Kawhi to uh, to the Clippers? We'll, we'll that's a question we're going to have to probably ask in the offseason, especially if the Clippers lose this series. Uh, he is so we'll- definitely how uh, Evgeny Malkin is to the Pittsburgh Penguins. He shuts, he's such a key guy. Yeah. You can't just like not, you can't like having a guy out that long. Obviously, the team's going to have consequences. And especially because, you know, basketball, there's significantly fewer, there's 10 guys. You know, versus you could go without, you know, and Evgeny Malkin, even, you know, if you're on the Pittsburgh Penguins, because you got, you know, a bunch of other guys who can fill that spot. When basketball is just, there's not a lot of room for depth there. Well, you saw the Clippers play the Jazz in the last Yes, round, and I don't so... want to talk about it. <laughs> but but you saw you saw. Yes, you saw, there was a difference. There was a big so. difference. You know, there, there was a big difference. I don't think the team played nearly as confident, you know. And like I said, I'm not a big basketball guy. I don't really follow other teams very closely. But, I mean, I, I they were definitely a different team with that with him out of the lineup in, in the same way that the Jazz were without Mike Conley. You know, they weren't a confident team without him. You know, so, I don't know. By the way, five – one uh Cardinals right now over yeah, the Diamondbacks. Pouring it on. Yeah, the moment we talk shit about them and now here they are. <laughs> so it's like, oh, everything's fine. Oh, it's fine. Maybe we just need to come on and talk <laughs> shit about every team that's playing poorly right now. Hey, badmouth the Canadians. Badmouth the Canadians. Oh God. Canadians you overrated. Suck. Field. I mean, I, I I heard, you know, he kicked dogs the other day. I mean, just yeah, you know, despicable. One thing, Mikhail Sergachev grabbing Gallagher by the head very much like Tom Wilson did to Artemi Panera and threw him down on the ice. And Pauly D just went yard. <sighs> Seven to one Cardinals. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> you have witnessed the turning points. Yeah, it's, it's us with the, the, the toasted jinx. That's what we're called. Hashtag Toasted Jinx. Someone from Jeff Albert's family was watching, and you know, <laughs> I called him up. It's like, yo, hey, Jeff. And, you know, it's time to actually, you know, get you know, turn it around. Execute Order sixty six right now. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. Hopefully, it is the harbinger of better things for the Cardinals. Although Carlos Martinez does start tomorrow, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, like I said, we'll talk a little bit tomorrow about the potential moves coming for the Cardinals and. and also some reinforcements as well. Harrison Bader potentially on the way as well as a, another Nolan. We'll talk about Nolan Gorman as well. Keep you updated. Triple A. Triple A. Triple A. And if you get a chance, <laughs> if you get a chance the next couple of days, maybe go down to Memphis. Check them out. See uh, see what this is all about. So. And, and check out Gorman at second base, which yes. uh, according to reports, he's doing okay. If he can hey. stay at second, 
Woo. Let's put it this way. Uh, if he can play second base admirably and still hit 288 and hit 11 home runs in 41 RBIs in 67 games, I think I think you could deal with an error here or there. Uh, I think that'll I'll be take fine. That. That'll be I'll fun. take that for sure. I will also jump into the uh, Eastern Conference basketball talk as well because you'll have uh, game four between the Bucks and the Hawks. Trey Young dealing with a bone bruise. We'll see if he plays tomorrow night Ooh. as well. Will so, Giants take another free throw again? You never know. You have to. You'll have to tune in to find out for sure, for sure, for sure. So I want to thank Tom Franklin and Mason Blues Fan Reacts for joining me tonight to talk about everything and un- everything under the sun as far as sports are concerned. I want to thank Scott for recording with me a little bit earlier today, so we get his thoughts as well. And I want to give another big shout out to John Hewlett, KC ninety five for being a part of our intro and you'll hear him in the outro as well. So thank you so much again to John Hewlett for that. Well done. You- Tom Calhoun. You'll still hear him once we get our blues podcast going. And, and thank you to Tom for putting together that absolute masterclass of an intro. Very well, well I, done. No, I, I, I took the combination that you built. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, it's all Tom. All Tom. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> Tom's supremacy here. Thank you. <laughs> oh boy well yeah make sure you come back every weeknight uh nine o'clock here on toasted tavern make sure you pull up a stool grab a beer grab a beverage and join us for toasted tavern every night at nine o'clock i'm wags thank you guys for joining us have a great rest of your night we'll see you tomorrow hey it's you man here from casey for all your sports news catch the toasted tavern with scott tobin and the man called wags weeknights at 9 p.m you can follow toasted tavern on facebook twitter instagram and youtube let's get toasted